Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody out there. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Federalism is in the news. Wow, federalism in the Tenth Amendment. You know, the Supreme Court has all but dismissed the Tenth Amendment, even though it's right there in the Bill of Rights. That's why it's called the Tenth Amendment. And it was very, very important, so important that the states ratified it because it recognizes state authority. Do you know any leftist who believes in the Tenth Amendment? None of them do. Not one. And the reason is, and I wrote about it in Rediscovering Americanism and the Tyranny of Progressivism, because if you're a progressive, you believe in centralized, authoritarian, iron-fisted government. Not just talking about it, but doing it. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Schumer, Pelosi, they believe in federalism? Since when? Now, I've been fascinated by this silliness so-called debate going on, even National Review editors put out a piece that's partly right and partly wrong, and I'll explain that later. The president is not without police powers, but the truth is, the states, for the most part, are supposed to control what goes on in the states. Now, the media have never believed this when it comes to health care, when it comes to immigration and so forth. They flip-flop. In other words, if a Democrat's in office, they want dictatorial powers. If a Democrat's not in office, then they want the Democrat states and cities to have the power. Because they don't believe in the Constitution. How can they? They're progressives. Progressives don't believe in the Declaration or the Constitution. How do I know? Because their intellectual philosopher kings said so a hundred years ago. They said so. Herbert Crowley... Woodrow Wilson, so many others. So here's what I posted earlier today. While President Trump's claim of exclusive power to open the economy raises fundamental federalism issues, why is he under attack by Democrats in the media who could not care less about the Tenth Amendment, let alone most of the rest of the Bill of Rights? The incoherence and outright idiocy of the blue state governors and media in this regard, especially slow Cuomo, are blinding. These governors declare sanctuary status for illegal aliens in direct defiance of the Constitution and federal law, with almost no pushback, and even insist that the federal financial relief be provided to illegal aliens. They demand that the federal government provide their states with hospital beds and ventilators, 
despite the fact such provisions are first and foremost a state and local responsibility under state law, certainly under the 10th Amendment. But clearly, they hadn't been a priority before now, so they demand that the federal government make up their budget shortfalls and provide funds to businesses the governor's closed and to workers the governor's put out of work, despite the fact that the federal government had no role in these decisions, no role in closing a single business in a single state, no role in firing a single worker in any state. The governors did all this. So when it comes to federalism, these blue state governors want all the power without the financial responsibility and accountability. And when it advances their ideology and their policies like sanctuary cities, they hell with the Constitution, you see. Now they're Confederates. They want federal tax dollars and bailouts now without strings. If they decide when businesses can open and people can work again in their states, then they should pay the bill until they do. Why are we passing massive federal legislation, federal debt, federal tax dollars? Why are we doing that if we're all federalists now? Now, National Review doesn't address that because National Review is all in on this federal spending. It certainly has been. My good friend Rich Lowry pretty much has been. We've got to fix this fire. We've got to get over this hump. Okay, great. But you don't abandon your economic beliefs and your principles. In fact, that's when they're supposed to work and work best. Look, I'm not a radical libertarian. I'm not an anarchist. Government has a role. The Constitution says government has a role. I'm up with that, or is it down with that? I'm with that. But there are boundaries. And what you have witnessed over the last two months is certainly not federalism. It's centralized, iron-fisted government. Both in the states and with medical advisors and Congress spending. No concern about federalism. When Andrew Cuomo was demanding ventilators from the federal government. No concern about federalism when Andrew Cuomo was demanding beds from the United States military. No concern about federalism now when Andrew Cuomo was demanding that we spend massive federal dollars, our tax dollars, or really the dollars of your children and grandchildren, to bail out his budget and tens of billions of dollars in debt he had even before the virus. He doesn't talk about federalism then. In fact, nobody does except me. Talks about monarchy. Cuomo and the Democrats and the media had no problem with monarchy 15 minutes ago. They demanded the president nationalize various companies. We even had media types demanding nationalizing various companies, and instituting a nationwide shelter-in-place order. Spent trillions of dollars nationalizing the state government's debt, a a demand that we appoint a high-ranking general in charge of all supply decisions, and so forth and so on. Those are your Democrat Party media liberal federalists. And it's been Trump 
who's been careful and prudential in his exercise of federal authority, for which he's been under attack by the media and the Democrats. But never forget, they abandoned the Constitution a long time ago. A long time ago. Let's put them to the test. Let's put them to the test. Let's put the media to the test. Since Cuomo and his hilk have spent the day claiming they oppose monarchy. And they're Federalists now. I'm sure they'll finally support legal efforts, litigation, to overturn King Barack Obama's unconstitutional DACA fiat. Clearly unconstitutional. Do they support that? Of course they don't support that. They don't have a single plan. Whether it's school systems, whether it's health care, whatever it is, that embraces the Tenth Amendment and federalism. Not one. Because the entire progressive movement rejects the Tenth Amendment. Woodrow Wilson pointed it out. This whole notion of a living and breathing constitution, it comes from Woodrow Wilson. I mean, he's the one that wrote and said, look, you got to look at the, the nation as a body with different organs. With lungs, with livers, with a heart, and so forth and so on. The country, like a human being, can't live with separated organs. It's living and breathing. Living and breathing. So the progressive movement, which is a Marxist-slash-democratic-socialist movement, has been at war with the Constitution, federalism, the Bill of Rights, for over 100 years. Over 100 years. We don't need lessons about federalism from these blue state governors. Our conservatives and conservative publications and platforms that abandoned that in the last two months. The reason why you're seeing these Democrat governors sort of joining by threes now, left-wing, hardcore statists, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, California, Oregon, Washington State, the reason you see them talking about we're going to get together and talk about how to open up is because they intend to drag their feet. That's why. They don't intend to open up. The president does have one tool, one quiver, that he can, in fact, use. That is the spending power. And you can thank the United States Supreme Court for that in part, but also the Constitution. Yes, I know. Congress has to pass spending bills and the president sign it. But the president has some independent authorities in cases of emergency granted to him by Congress. And in part... It is the ability to withhold funds and to award funds as the head of the executive branch. Left does it all the time. You either follow our our policies or we're going to withhold funds. You either follow our policies or we're going to cut your funds and on and on and on. So rather than just handing states hundreds of billions of dollars or tens of billions depending on the state, tie strings to it. 
Give them deadlines. Give them instructions. You want federal money. You want federal. You're not required to take it. You're not required to take it. So do as you wish. But if you want federal money, and God knows you do, then here are the requirements to get it. So there's something the president can do. But don't think these blue state governors who reject capitalism, who reject the Constitution, who only support federalism in the Tenth Amendment if it powers their left-wing agendas within the states. Like Confederates, they're part of the Confederacy mindset. I'm not talking about slavery, I'm talking about the arguments the Confederacy used to make, nullification and so forth. Just keep in mind what they're really up to. And in the end, it's the government that's in the way. It's the people who are going to start up the economy. Some of the worst violations of civil liberties have happened in these blue states. With a chokehold on the populace. I've seen very little written about that and I've been talking about it for a month. Very little. And the only other way we're going to be able to grow this economy, and I'll say this, regardless of these slings and arrows, Anthony Fauci and Deborah Burks need to be moved to the side. They can give their expert advice and so forth. But it is clear from their own statements or their lack of statements, they've made clear they are not looking at the broader society. They are not looking at the economy. They're not looking at businesses. They don't address it, even though the actions they recommend have dire effects, devastating effects on the economy and the health consequences that that grow from that. It's clear they're not looking at what their advice is doing to uh, other medical professionals, other doctors with specialties, nurses, and hospitals, because it's having a dire effect. So they don't get to make, in my view, and have such, such a front row. They shouldn't, in my opinion. They've served their country. They need to pull back. And others need to step forward and make decisions now with their advice. And I've spent enough days and enough weeks here explaining how wrong and convoluted and back and forth they've been on so much. And they've been right on things, too, as you would hope. But they need to move aside now, because the expertise we need is not purely and solely their expertise. We need more experts. We need more common sense decisions. And the best experts that exist today are you. You know best how to run your life, what to do in your job, what to do if you have a business, and how to raise your family. You know the best. And so you're the experts that need to be freed up to live your lives. We can do this with mitigation. We can do this with balance. But there is no balance today. It's all or nothing. And don't let these phony blue state governors fool you. The ones that have sicked their police on gun shows. The ones that have sicked their police on parishioners who are in their cars, for God's sakes. The ones who have sicked their police... On a husband and wife and a daughter in the middle of a park where no one's around them. 
The ones who have sicked the police on a surfer in the middle of the ocean where there's nobody else there. Them. They have no intention of doing the right thing at the right time. And they're the ones that will keep saying one other thing. It'll never be back to normal. Well, if they have their way, they're right. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home. On demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Let me ask you folks a question. And these pseudo-federalists out there who've been silent up to this point where they're attacking the president. Constitution talks about interstate commerce. Okay. Interstate commerce. We have some bizarre Supreme Court cases that have held that commerce within a state is interstate commerce. We've talked about that for decades. Let's say the governor, a Democrat nitwit, as I understand it, of Kansas, says, you know what? We're going to keep all of our wheat in Kansas. I have to make sure I take care of the people of Kansas So I've ordered our farmers, they are not to export any wheat to New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, no wheat to California, Oregon, or Washington State. I have these powers, these police powers. We are at least one of the breadbaskets of America, and we're going to keep all of our wheat here. Then Iowa says, you know what, that's a good idea. We're going to keep all of our corn here. We're going to keep all our corn here. We're not going to export any corn to any other state. Does the governor have that power? Can the president do anything about it? I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand and absolutely free of charge, Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. There is a series of decisions that occurred during the Franklin Roosevelt administration where the Supreme Court would eventually give Roosevelt everything he wanted in terms of centralized economic power. You're not hearing about this from anybody, so you'll hear about it from me. Now, all you have to do is take your copy of Men in Black. All these books were written for a reason. And follow along with me, if you will, because you'll know more than every single news person and commentator on TV and radio, except those that cherry-pick my monologues. In 1937, the National Labor Relations Board versus Jones and Lachlan Steel Corporation, the Supreme Court ruled that, quote, intrastate activities... That is, activities within the state only, that have such a close and substantial relation to interstate commerce that their control is essential or appropriate to protect that commerce from burdens and obstructions are within Congress's power to regulate. So the legal stage was now set, as I wrote, for a massive expansion of the Commerce Clause and federal government control over the marketplace. I would ask my fellow conservatives and some of you pseudo-federalists out there, how are you going to square these circles with these Supreme Court decisions? Virtually every one of which I oppose, by the way. Here's the kicker. In 1942, the court used a case called Wickard v. Filburn, an infamous case, for that very purpose. Roscoe Filburn owned and operated a small dairy farm in Ohio. Every year, he would use a section of his land to grow wheat. A portion of the wheat was sold, a portion was fed to livestock, which were also sold, and a portion was used to make flour, and the rest was used for seeding the following year. In every respect, Filburn's sale or use of his wheat occurred within and wholly and solely within the state of Ohio. In 1942, Filburn was assessed a penalty of $117.11, for exceeding the marketing quota established for his farm. It was part of the Federal Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1938. Felburn challenged the penalty in court, and the case reached the Supreme Court. He said, does this have to do with interstate commerce? Incredibly, Justice Robert Jackson, writing for a unanimous court, ruled that Congress could regulate the amount of wheat that a farmer grew on his own farm. The court reasoned that Filburn's wheat affected interstate commerce, even though none of it ever left the state of Ohio. The court's rationale was, one, Filburn grew excess wheat on his farm, as determined by a marketing quota established by the Federal Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1938. Two, Filburn used that excess wheat to feed his livestock. Three, because of the excess wheat, Filburn would not have to purchase wheat on the open market. For by not purchasing wheat on the open market, Filburn was affecting interstate commerce. You believe that, Mr. Producer? Because he was self-sufficient, that meant he wouldn't be buying wheat from others, including from other states. So it was a ruse. It was a pretext to empower 
President Franklin Roosevelt to uphold this unconstitutional statute, the Agriculture Adjustment Act of 1938. So the Interstate Commerce Clause became the Commerce Clause. It can hardly be denied, the court wrote, that a factor of such volume and virability as home-consumed wheat would have a substantial influence on price and market conditions. This may arise because being in marketable conditions, such wheat overhangs the market, and if induced by rising prices, tends to flow into the market and check price increases. But if we assume that it is never marketed, supplies a need of the man who grew it, which would otherwise be reflected by purchases in the open market. Homegrown wheat, in this sense, competes with the wheat in commerce. The stimulation of commerce is a use of the regulatory function quite as definitely as prohibitions or restrictions. Let me read that sentence to you again. The stimulation of commerce is a use of the regulatory function quite as definitely as prohibitions or restrictions thereon. So if you look at the Constitution, none of this power is granted to the federal government. But the federal government has been using this power since 1942. Almost 80 years. And it is shocking to hear what all these people are arguing, one side or the other, like this never happened. Andrew Cuomo supports the New Deal, doesn't he? He supports Franklin Roosevelt. He supports the Roosevelt Court, doesn't he? He supports the decision in in the Filburn case, which has maximized the ability of the federal government to regulate every damn thing that occurs in your home. They're not even suggesting that we reject this case or the Supreme Court. Now, of course, people talk to the Obamacare case, which was decided on a and an abusive spin of the tax clause of the Constitution. They'll say there, they said you're not required to purchase anything in commerce, and they'd be right. But that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what we're talking about here. 1971, in Perez versus the United States, the Supreme Court upheld certain sections of the Consumer Credit Protection Act, making loan sharking a federal offense despite the fact these activities were purely within the state. It was an eight-to-one decision. Eight-to-one. And I could go on. So I talked about the spending... Cl- and I don't like these cases. I don't like them in the least. When I wrote Men in Black, I attacked them. The court was dishonest, intellectually dishonest. Because once Obama, uh, Obama, yeah, why not? Once FDR got his hands on the Supreme Court, everything changed. And so you got these result-oriented decisions. Woodrow Wilson said that the way we're going to advance the revolution of progressivism is through the courts. Of course, now they advance it other ways, too. So you have the spending power where the federal government can, in fact, influence the policies of states, if those states accept federal monies. That's been going on forever. The Supreme Court upheld that some time ago. And now you have the Commerce Clause 
It's called the Interstate Commerce Clause, but it's really intrastate too, as I just read to you. Almost 80 years of this. Where the federal government can regulate what takes place within states. Now, all these new federalists on the left don't object to any of that. They want single-payer health care. Even if a state wants to go, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. And I read this National Review editorial, and I'm thinking, do they even know the Supreme Court case? Do they even know what the hell's going on? You should at least have enough intellectual integrity to state what these decisions, or some of them, one of them, says, and object to it, and explain that we don't expect a Republican or conservative or uh, president of ours to use them or adhere to them when it comes to such a thing as, quote-unquote, opening the economy. But it's not a far leap at all for the president to say, Wilburn, these other cases, the Supreme Court has said, I can regulate what goes on in these states if it affects interstate commerce, and certainly closing so many of the businesses, a vast number of businesses in California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, this state, that state, and so forth, clearly affects interstate commerce. Of course he can say that. Not based on anything I believe, based on what the court has said. So while it's true, as John Yu writes, about police powers within the state, and he's right. Police powers. What is or is not legal within the state. And the exercise of those police powers, including economic police powers, that's absolutely true. But he seems to be stuck pre-1942. So am I, intellectually. That's where I want to be. But that's not where we are. Is it? If the federal government can regulate the kind of paint you have on your home, bypass the states, and punish you and penalize you if you don't comply, If the federal government can regulate a pond in your backyard and call it navigable waters and put you in prison if you don't comply. If the federal government can can regulate your automobile and say you never drive outside the state. If the federal government can effectively regulate almost any commerce, not all, but almost any commerce that takes place within the boundaries of a single state, and make the argument as they did in Filburn, because it affects interstate commerce. Your lack of commerce affects interstate commerce. Then from again, if you're the litigation group over there at the Department of Justice and the president takes on a state, what is your argument? That's all well and good, but a president can't say If you don't open this factory, this factory, these businesses, and so forth, he can't say that's going to affect interstate commerce. Clearly, it affects the federal budget. Clearly, it affects the federal budget. We just spent trillions of dollars to subsidize and provide relief to to businesses and individuals as a result of what individual states have done. That clearly affects interstate commerce. I am not all for an all-powerful president. Don't blame me. Blame your Supreme Court. Blame the Democrats. Blame the progressives. Blame FDR. Don't blame me. I'm just telling you what a good litigator would do. 
And I'm just telling you that like it or not, and I don't, a president has far more power in this regard than a lot of these numbskulls are saying. When he says he has total authority, that's not correct. But my suggestion is he probably has a hell of a lot more power than people are, are willing to admit, particularly on the left. The left knows about these cases. You know, some of you believe in Passover, some of you believe in Easter. The left believes in the Supreme Court. That's their God. When they agree with it, it's their God. When they disagree with it, it's their devil. But they're secularists for the most part. Not all, but for the most part. So they know this, in these cases, backwards and forwards. But they're not going to tell you about it because Donald Trump's president. They want Joe Biden, who's now talking about being a progressive. He's adopting many of Bernie Sanders' staff. He's just hired Bernie Sanders' foreign policy staff. And what do you think about that? He's hiring them. How the hell else do you get the single-payer health care? How the hell else do you have all these centralized, top-down decisions from Washington, D.C.? It was these, these group of cases in particular that occurred during the New Deal. And Biden says he wants a new New Deal. He doesn't talk about federalism. None of the Democrats running for president talk about federalism. Not a single news person on CNN or MSNBC or really anywhere talks about federalism. They laugh about it. Tenth Amendment. Thurgood Marshall laughed at the Tenth Amendment. He said all the Tenth Amendment is is a statement of fact. It has no real legal significance. Now they're citing the Tenth Amendment. They'll never cite the Tenth Amendment against a Democrat president who wants to centralize commerce and decision making and so forth and so on. So the answer to my question, if the governor of Kansas said all wheat stays in Kansas, or the governor of Iowa said all corn stays in Kansas, the president of the United States can say, oh, no, it doesn't. The Interstate Commerce Clause and cite a string of Supreme Court decisions and order those states to allow the export of those products. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
I bring you these things first. They'll all be repeated by those who could understand them, whether it's on cable or radio. Because you can ask my wife, you can ask my family. My mind never stops. I'm thinking about this stuff all the time, all sides of it, not two sides, all sides. If something makes sense, if something doesn't make sense, what's the possible outcome, whether I like it or not, is beside the point. And then I'll make my, my point, my advocacy, my give you my opinion and so forth. But uh, there's way too much groupthink. There's way too much uh, sheeple activity going on, whether it's conservatives, pseudo-conservatives, never-Trumpers, the hard left, the media. It's just uh, people don't think for themselves anymore. And yet they want to be recognized. As I told you two weeks ago, as I wrote on April 4th, as I... Shut up. The only person, as far as I'm concerned, who can say, I predicted something two weeks ago, I said something three weeks ago, is Rush Limbaugh. Because that son of a gun really is on the cutting edge. He really is. I try my damnest to get to listen to him. It's very, very tough for me. I'm just overwhelmed with different activities. But I I try to get a good piece of it when I can, especially in the last few weeks. He has been superb. And when he says he said something three weeks ago, he said it. I'm talking about backbenchers, of course. And they know who they are because they're backbenchers. All right. I've got a ton more to say, but I don't have enough time, so let's slip in a call. Edward Gaithersburg, Maryland, the great WMAL. Edward, go. Yes. Go, baby. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, am I talking with Mark? You are. Let's go. Mark, we are living Plato's Republic. We are living... And by the way, I said that last month, and you're very well read. Good for you. Go ahead. Thank you. I wish I would have heard you talk about it. We have our philosopher kings. We have our producers, such as myself. I'm the carpenter. Sorry. I've read the book. These guys who are supposed to be the philosopher kings, I'm saying Palchi, Burks, etc., Mnuchin... The governors, the the mayors, they're the people who are supposed to be above passion. They are supposed Mm -hmm. to be the smartest, the most rational. They will never make a mistake the way someone like myself, who is a passionate person who doesn't know how to quite think right. And everything they do is a mistake. You know what? Only on the Mark Levin show do we have a magnificent man like you, a carpenter, citing Plato's Republic. Edward, we got to go or I keep you longer. Trust me. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Did you see Barack Obama endorse Joe Biden for president, Mr. Producer? There wasn't anyone left, was there? He's the last one standing. So Barack Obama finally endorses his uh, former vice president. 
And uh, what you'll find is about the first minute and a half or two minutes of his video, he's talking about himself. I happen to think it would be a good thing when Obama really gets involved in this campaign. He has a horrific record with anybody he has supported. And his actual record becomes fair game. And his actual record in creating jobs, business creation, open borders and all the rest of it is a disastrous record. So uh, I'm going to give you an example of Barack Milhouse Benito Obama. Uh, the man is rested, it's clear, he's, uh, he's living the life. He has uh, taken his ex-presidency and he has monetized it like nobody else in American history. They attacked Trump, he came to office as a billionaire. When you look at Obama and Michelle Obama and Bill and Hillary Clinton and Al Gore and you aggregate the monies they've made since they've left office, I'll bet you it's close to a billion dollars. Nobody cares about that. The media, the, uh, the Congress, no, nobody cares. But you better not come into office as a success. Certainly not if you're a Republican. Here's part of Joe Biden in his YouTube video. Cut three, go. But if there's one thing we've learned as a country from moments of great crisis, it's that the spirit of looking out for one another... All right, let's stop a second. Did anyone ask him for his opinion about a crisis in the country? Like, we're all sitting here slobbering. We got to hear from Obama. Nobody cares what Obama has to say. Except, you know, the diehards, the dead-enders, the headbangers. Go ahead. Can't be restricted to our homes or our workplaces or our neighborhoods or our houses of worship. It also has to be reflected in our national government. The kind of leadership that's guided by knowledge and experience. Honesty and humility. Empathy. And grace. I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen. Did I didn't find the government under Obama to be any of those things, did you? Go ahead. That kind of leadership doesn't just belong in our state capitals and mayor's offices. It belongs in the White House. See, here's the thing. They go on about federalism, federalism, federalism. He'll give half a sentence to federalism, and he's back to centralized government. Go ahead. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for president of the United States. All right, that's enough. I've actually heard enough of him. I can't stand it. Now, I'm going to tell you something here that really needs to be examined. And this is not to be provocative. It's not to hurt anybody. It's not to hurt any family. It'll be twisted, but I don't care. I'm speaking from my heart as well as my mind. Joe Biden is incapacitated, ladies and gentlemen. He's not capable of being president of the United States. His wife knows it. His sister knows it. His brother knows it. His son knows it. His advisors know it. The media know it. And his party knows it. Joe Biden is incapable of carrying out the duties of the president of the United States. This is not a cheap shot. You know it. You see it. And you hear it. I'm not doing this as a laugh time moment or segment. I'll leave that to others. I'm doing it for the sake of the country. 
There is no way Joe Biden should be a public official at this point in his life. I want you to think about this. He's 77. If he's elected, this will be going on year after year till he's 81. So we will have a so-called caretaker president. It'll be the vice president. It'll be the cabinet. It'll be bureaucrats running the country. Exactly why we have a 25th Amendment. Do you really want to put the country through this? The Democrat Party. The Democrat Party doesn't run the country. They can't even run themselves. All these candidates who are running for the nomination, all of them who claim they could beat Trump, they decide on Biden. No, no matter what Obama says from this point forward, the fact is he did not endorse Biden when Biden needed his endorsement. Ronald Reagan endorsed George H.W. Bush against all comers. Joe Biden did not endorse Joe Biden against all comers. He didn't endorse Joe Biden against anybody. He endorses Joe Biden after Bernie Sanders steps out and endorses Joe Biden. He's the last one. The last one standing. Now, this is quite remarkable to me. Some people say, well, that's because Obama wants to control him. No, no, no. I think Obama knows that Joe Biden is incapable of handling that job. But he's, he's such a party hack now. He so hates Trump, who's made him look like a fool more times than one, that he'd rather see an incapacitated Joe Biden who can be surrounded by people who can control him, control his appearances, limit his, uh, his, his public view, then see Trump as president of the United States again. That's what's going on. And you're going to see the New York Times, the Washington Post, they're not going to delve into Joe Biden's mental incapacity. The same psychiatrists and psychologists that authored a book from afar about Donald Trump, they're not going to author any book about Joe Biden's mental incapacity. You know, early in his career, he was a screw-up. He said stupid things because he's a stupid guy. He's not a smart guy. He's a stupid guy. But now he's saying strange things, not so much because he's stupid, but he can't remember. His short-term memory is shot, and it's getting worse right in front of our eyes. And we have a right to be concerned about this. You know, they always say, well, Mr. President, did you take the coronavirus test? Mr. President, your annual physical, how was it? How come nobody's asking? And I'll ask. Is Joe Biden going to be examined? I don't mean from the neck down. I mean from the neck up. By a reputable team of experts to determine whether or not he's qualified to be president. Just because a party nominates somebody doesn't mean they should be president. Again, we have the 25th Amendment. We know what happened with Woodrow Wilson. He had a stroke. He was incapacitated. And his wife ran the country for around two years. So he's not, he's not fit to be president of the United States. We've never elected anybody his age. 
But that's not even what's relevant here. What's relevant here is he hasn't aged well. That's what's relevant here. You look at Donald Trump. What's he, 74? He doesn't look 74. Guy looks like he's 54. With all due respect, he does. You can't say the same of Joe Biden. He stares into the camera. He's losing his place. It's not that he's shy. Guy's been in government for his entire life. It's not that he doesn't know how to talk. He can't. His synapses aren't clicking. I see it. You see it. This is the great story that's not being told. People walk around it. You saw the same thing with Mueller. When I dared to say anything like that on TV, man, was I slapped down. Wasn't I, Mr. Producer? It wasn't a shot at Mueller. It was obvious that he has issues. And he should never have been in that position. And the people who appoint somebody like that, the people who work for somebody like that, the people who are surrounding him, they should protect him and protect the country. The same is the case with Joe Biden. You watch how they try to limit the number of debates with Trump. You watch how they try and no standing at podiums. We don't have to sit next to each other at a table. You watch. They want to uh, limit the amount of time. They're going to try and create an environment where Joe Biden, where his, his, uh, well, where his mental incapacity isn't on display. They're going to do their very best to do that. It's very worrisome to me. I want to swing back to Andrew Cuomo and some others. Where they're calling the President of the United States a monarch. They would never have said the same thing about Franklin Roosevelt or the Supreme Court that gave a president the kind of power the presidents have now. Joe Scarborough, same thing. These are very low IQ, unknowledgeable hacks who get in front of a camera Every day, whether they're politicians, former politicians, or left-wing Democrats dressed up as journalists, and they come with the same attitude. They're like Pavlov's dog, baby. You ring the bell, and they're running through the track. They want that dog biscuit. Now, here's Cuomo on the morning Schmo show today. Cut eight, go. Your, your comments have been exactly right. This wasn't a bending of the Constitution, uh, what the president said last night. It was a breaking of the Constitution. He basically de- declared himself King Trump, right? Uh, and all that annoying federal state back and forth that I found. Oh, uh, really? Really, Andy? Really? May I call you Andy? I feel like I know you. On TV every damn day, groaning through our television monitor. Really, Andy, the back and forth between the feds, it seems to be all one way. When you want something, you want the feds. When you want to retain your power, you don't want the feds. That basically sums up where the left is. We have federal immigration laws. The Constitution essentially gives most of the activity on immigration to the federal government. So now we have sanctuary cities. We have sanctuary states. So much for the back and forth. These are result-oriented ideologues. Go ahead. Went through. He just uh, uh, disregarded that and said uh, total authority. Then we would have had uh, King George Washington, right? But uh, we had King Franklin Roosevelt. You love Franklin Roosevelt. We had King Franklin Roosevelt. You dare to bring this up to a leftist. They'll say, what, you don't support Social Security? What, you don't support Medicare? 
Well, of course, Medicare happened in the Great Society, not the New Deal. But they're so stupid, they'll bring it up anyway. No, I don't support the internment of Japanese Americans. No, I don't support turning the IRS on, on newspapers and on political opponents. No, I don't support turning back people who come on a boat who are going to wind up perishing in the Holocaust. No, I don't support trying to cover up the Holocaust with the press because you wanted other focuses, and so forth and so on. So, no, we don't want a King FDR. But isn't it interesting? They'll never talk about King FDR or King Lyndon Johnson. They don't mind a king. You know, Nancy Pelosi was squawking and screeching two weeks ago. <laughs> what about the, the defense production? <laughs> they should be nationalizing these in there. Take them over. Take them over. <laughs> we actually had one host on one of the cable channels. Why don't you have a national hunker down in place? Why, why, why should it be national? I mean, they're all repeating each other. Uh, because it's not appropriate. So they don't mind that. Government-run health care, government-run schools, open borders. To get more voters into the country who are going to vote three-fourths Democrats. They favor all kinds of centralized authority that's not provided for in the Constitution. Go ahead. The governors are in charge because the president put them in charge. All right, let's this- stop. The president didn't put governors in charge. Is this idiot? Governors are elected. States have some sovereign authority. His mouth, which always seems like it's full of mashed potatoes. His mouth, he says one thing out of one side of his mouth and one thing out of the other. Do you deny, Andrew Cuomo, that the administration has the power to deny you funds unless you comply with their policies? He won't deny that. Joe Scarbo's too stupid to ask him that question. Do you deny, Governor Cuomo, that the federal government has the power to regulate activities that occur solely in your state? And that's been going on for at least 80 years as a result of Supreme Court precedent. He can't deny that. So every president since Franklin Roosevelt has been a king. Maybe some have been queens, but you know, we don't know about that. But everyone's been a king. Again, this is not something I support. This is something I reject. This is something I reject completely. Well, you must be a right-wing constitutionalist, extremist, textualist, originalist. You know, stuff like that. But here's Joe Scarborough. You want to hear a moron? And he actually thinks he's smart. The funniest thing to watch on TV, of course, I don't watch him, I get clips, is a moron who thinks he's smart. Or at two morons who think they're smart. Joe and Mika. JM or MJ. And you'll hear them when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. All right, here is Scarborough. Cut nine, go. It's so funny, Nikki. Yesterday afternoon, you called me up and you said, hey, uh, Cuomo is holding a press conference with other governors and Trump's going to go crazy. Yeah. I go, what do you mean? said, well, since he's given them the power, they're taking the power. And, of course, they're going to figure out when to reopen uh, their their states uh, to economic business. They're working business, together to lead. Working together to lead. That always gets to them. Since he won't lead. And then yesterday he completely melted down and went, you know, full Orban. Yeah. Uh, and, and started yapping like an authoritarian wannabe. See, these, these are comic book characters, these two. Um, comic book characters who live in a bubble in Florida, pretty much. Very wealthy. With no audience. They're great foils. So, just listen to the contradictions, the incoherence. President of the United States, first they say, has no authority to order anything, number one, which is clearly not true, like it or not. Number two, he won't lead. Well, but he has no authority. Well, he won't lead. Number three, he's given the power to the governor. He's given the power to the governor. No, the governors have the power. Number three, he's an authoritarian wannabe. Actually, this president has followed the Constitution to the T. So four lies by two numbskulls in one 35-second segment. Four lies by two numbskulls in 35 seconds. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Talk about the Tea Party. We are the Tea Party. Call in now, 877-381-3811. How many of these blue state governors or some red state governors said, no, we don't want any money going to our businesses in our states. The federal government has no role in this whatsoever. We're in charge. I'm the governor. 
How many of these governors said no? You can keep your federal beds, the Army Corps of Engineers, keep your boats, keep your ventilators, your masks. I believe in federalism. This is my state. How many said that? None of them. None of them. We even have governors saying, in the case of Cuomo, he wants bailouts for his state. Now, he wants bailouts anyway, because their pensions have gone to hell. Same with Illinois, same with California. They're billions and billions, multi-billions of dollars in the hole before any pandemic. Before any pandemic. They want bailouts. But you see, they want bailouts with no strings. So as a federalist, I must ask, why should we bail out any of these states? I didn't vote for these people. I didn't vote for these left-wing kooks who put solar panels ahead of ventilators. I'm right, aren't I? I would think so. Over at National Review, I think they, they must think I'm right, given their editorial today. And how they ignore uh, 80 years of Supreme Court precedent. Not that I agree with the precedent. I don't. But there it is. The market is changing. And when it comes to mortgages, you know, it may be harder to qualify for a new loan. It's not a lot. There's not a lot of lenders can do about it. It's unfortunate. But you also need to realize it's still possible to refinance. So don't feel defeated. Instead, here's my advice. Take a few minutes out of your day and call American Financing. Take advantage of a free mortgage review and see if you can save up to $1,000 a month. You've got nothing to lose. There are no upfront fees. There's no obligation. And I like American Financing because they're family-owned. They tell you the truth. They're always focused on what's best for you. And if they can't find a program that's going to benefit you, they're going to tell you that. Why? Because they're honest. But they're going to do everything in their power to help you save. Because they know how important it is to save you money right now. So don't put this very important call off any longer. They're there right now. Now's the time to act. There are some things you can do in this horrific economy that will benefit you directly. This is a big one. Call 888-900-1828. That's 888-900-1828. Or go online to AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Now, I said directly in the first segment of this program that doctors Burks and Fauci need to be moved back now. They can't be the center of attention. The media are using them to advance a political and ideological agenda to try and undermine the president. But even more than that, uh, they're myopic in scope. And that's okay to a point. But there's a lot more illnesses out there, a lot more sickness out there, a lot more deaths out there. A lot's happening to our healthcare uh, institutions now in a very negative way. And certainly the devastation to our economy. They have said repeatedly this isn't their bailiwick. That's not what they look at. They look at what's right in front of them. Fine. But that's not good enough. And I might add, they've been wrong about a lot. And people will explain, well, it's a vi- I got it. I know what it is. 
I'm, I'm watching, I'm living, I'm learning, I, I'm studying it too. But there was a piece the other day in the Washington Examiner by Representative Andy Biggs and Ken Buck. And I have to agree with them. And I come to this conclusion reluctantly, but I've come to this conclusion before too. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and he's been in that job 36 years, recently said it's inconvenient from a societal standpoint, from an economic standpoint, to go through this, quote-unquote. We, we talked about this. It's interesting sometimes that a brief comment can reveal the heart and mind, and in this instance, a special degree of tone deafness. Two weeks ago, at least 3.3 million people filed for unemployment benefits. Last week, 6.8 million. Now we know it's about 17 million. And by the end of the week, it's going to be well over 20 million. Think about that. Over 20 million of your fellow citizens, workers, without jobs, who had jobs. For Fauci, it is merely a societal or economic inconvenience. His word that millions and millions of workers are unemployed because of the government's response to the coronavirus pandemic, with many more to come in the weeks and months ahead. The economic calamity lies largely with the organization of policies, excuse me, with the origination of policies resulting from Fauci's recommendations. Fauci has admitted that the models he relies on are unreliable. The models and their panic-inducing projections have seemingly been revised down every couple of days. Fauci insists this is because his policy prescriptions. But time and data from the United States and other nations will reveal whether that is in fact true. We've heard Fauci say the economic cost and societal impacts of his policies were not considered when he devised his epidemic response plan. But the question is whether the medicine he prescribed will prove to be more harmful than the disease in the long term. Many businesses have been shuttered forever. It'll be almost impossible for countless other small businesses to reopen once the government gives the all clear for the economy to restart. It is tragic that thousands of people in the country have died or may yet succumb to the novel coronavirus, COVID-19. But we also must remember that millions of people have had their lives and livelihoods permanently altered because of the government response to this virus. While our government may make promises and help make things better once the hysteria subsides, there is nothing our leaders will be able to do to make everything completely right again. Fauci is a respected healthcare professional who has contributed a great deal to this country, but he can no longer be be one of the primary voices in the crisis, especially not after his assertion that the economic effects and devastation from this shutdown are merely inconvenient. Fauci and his team have not always had a clear pathway to assess this epidemic. Back in January, he downplayed the risk of the coronavirus to the public. Study, which may have been the catalyst for many of the draconian lockdown policies in the United States and the United Kingdom, that predicted the deaths of over 2 million Americans and 510,000 from the UK, was recently revised to predict just 20,000 fatalities in Britain. That's not a trivial revision. That study affected the lives and livelihoods of millions, if not billions, of people around the world. Fauci and his team insisted that the best case outcome for the virus was between 100,000 and 200,000 fatalities. 
stemming from the coronavirus. But that was before the number was revised down to 75,000. And that was before the number was revised down to 60,000. Surely more revisions are to come. Case fatality rates include all deaths of anyone with COVID-19 or the symptoms of the virus. I think these gentlemen listen to this program, don't you, Mr. Producer? This has been my boogeyman for a month. These fatality numbers cannot be right. And they're not. And they won't be as terrible as they are. These are classified as a virus-caused death regardless of other health issues that might have contributed to the death. I've read the form to you, the March 24th form put out by the NIH. Uh, And, of course, um, Dr. Birx has confirmed it, that that's what they're doing. This method of counting is promulgated by Fauci's associate, Deborah Birx. It almost sounds as if they're trying to boost the fatality rate. That's their comment, not mine. Burks also recently indicated that we should not open up the country yet because there might be a second time around for the virus. Has she considered the economic destruction she is content with, weakening on the nation, wrecking the nation? One wonders if she has thought about the emotional toll, the suicides, the increase in domestic and child abuse, drug and alcohol dependence, and a host of additional societal pathologies. Has she considered the loss of life savings, businesses, and capital? President Trump, Vice President Pence, and their team have done the best job they could to save lives. They had limited information due to manipulation and deception by the World Health Organization and the Chinese Communist Party. The Trump administration was also hindered by the emotional propaganda spewed by leftists in the media and left-wing politicians whose sole purpose in life is to attack our president. The longer government-imposed lockdowns go on, the more people will lose their jobs, millions more, millions more. Thousands more businesses will close their doors. The physical and emotional toll from this self-imposed economic destruction will be worse than the doomsday profits projected. Fauci and his team of experts deserve some credit for mitigating the spread of this virus, but they should no longer be the primary voices at the table. I point this out. I agree. Fauci and Burks have indicated pretty strongly that they do not consider the greater needs of the country, whether it's the economy, and the healthcare uh, institutions, and so forth. Like us, many people we talk to sympathize with and grieve for the victims of the coronavirus, as they do for victims of all diseases. But they increasingly feel neglected and forgotten. Their lives and futures matter, too. It is time to open the country and protect the most vulnerable in a targeted way. Exactly. Now, something I've been saying for a long time, and they're right. Lots of things I've been saying for a long time are coming to fruition. Again, by studying, by, by reasoning, by looking at these things, by not just going with the group, unless you should go with the group. But you don't start out with the group. You think as an individual. Very, very important. I wonder if all those clowns who have written those pieces at National Pubic Radio, ProPubica, Variety, all the other clown shows... I'll be waiting for their apologies, but I won't hold my breath, because then I'll, I'll need somebody to revive me. I'll be right back. Lovin.
With all the uncertainty in the world, feeling safe at home has never been more important. That's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe Home Security. They're longtime friends of this show, and for good reason. You just order online, set it up yourself in under an hour, and your home is protected 24 7 with emergency dispatch for break ins, fire, and more. All for just 50 cents a day. And we're not the only fans of Simply Safe. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Overall Home Security of 2020. And right now, when you head to simplysafemark.com, simplysafemark.com, my listeners will get free shipping and a 60 day risk free trial. That's simplysafemark.com to make sure they know that our show sent you. From Simply Safe and all of us here, wishing you safety and a good year. And good health. And God bless you. That's for sure. All right. Let's see here. Let us take a call. I'm looking quickly. Let's go to Nancy. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The great WPHT. Nancy, how are you? Good evening, Mark. It is a pleasure to meet you over the phone. Thank you. Um, I have a couple points, but I'm, I'm trying to stop laughing from the comment from Obama about being honest and humble. Yeah. Would, would, would this be the same President Obama who was communicating on Clinton's private server under a pseudonym? Mr. Honest, why doesn't he turn over all those emails? Oh, yes. You anyway, got um, so uh, a couple quick things. You know, um, FDR is the idol of the left. Mm-hmm. And re- let's remember, it was FDR who said in his inaugural speech, I think it was, before my time, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So, of course... That, was, just, that was after the uh, attack on Pearl Harbor. Okay, but so, of course, yeah. the left has decided, let's just make everybody full of fear. Why not? Yeah. Yes. It says, here, it says here you're an attorney, so you know what I'm talking about on these cases, right? Mark, I'm an attorney who grew up in Philadelphia, right near Elkins Park. So you grew up near where I grew up? Yes, I did. Hmm. I used to shop all the time at Elkins Park, at the stores there. That little that little area there near the train station? No, at Bonwit Teller and Lord & Bonwit Teller. I know those places, too, or it did, anyway. Indeed. So here's another observation, and I've been making this point wherever I can. Um, it's not just Plato's times, but... Everybody should read on, um, on the Internet Thomas Jefferson's history. Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson was the primary drafter of the Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. and he signed it in Philadelphia on July 4th, 1776. Mm-hmm. But he was also the third president, and he had some real traitors going after him during his presidency. Yes, Very he did. Very similar to what's happening with Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't think either that we're going to have and, a word. And he had a media trying to take him out. Absolutely. It's very uncanny, the similarities. But we know that history repeats itself. And we know that those Ivy League-educated leftists knew. And you, know, with this, you know, where the stories began, and I don't want to get into this in particular right now, but the stories began that he had children uh, with a, a slave that he owned started with the the newspapers, um, the Whig newspapers that were out to get him. That, st- that started with those newspapers. Um, he never denied it. He never, he never acknowledged it. He never got into it. 
But that's that's how that's how that at least discussion of it started. And they got down and dirty. They wanted to take Jefferson out. There's absolutely no question about it. Nancy, thank you for your call, my friend, and call again. Andrea, also Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Hi, thank you very much, Mark. Another yes, Philadelphian here. God bless you. you yeah, thank you. I'm from northeast Philly, and I work near Fishtown. Well, I was from Cheltenham, not too far. Of course, I knew Cheltenham. I worked at H.A. Winston's in college in the 80s. See this? Nobody cares, but I love it. Yeah, I know you do. That's why I'm helping you. Yes. So anyway, I'm, I'm calling a couple of things. You know, she mentioned Obama. What is going on with the spy gate? It came out. He knew all along. She mentioned the server. He knew all along. He was part of it, part of spying on the guy. No, no, you of- don't understand. He was Helen Keller. His FBI was out of control. His intelligence agencies were out of control. His Justice Department was out of control. Um, his White House knew nothing about anything, even though it was all in the newspapers and I put it together. No, no, poor Barack Obama didn't know a thing. He was never asked about it. He was never investigated. Nothing. Poor guy doesn't know what the hell's going on. No wonder he endorsed Joe Biden. I call him B.L. Smelly. Uh-oh. That's how I like to... Better dump that there, Mr. Producer. Yeah, like, All right, go right ahead. But but also but also uh, regarding him, the way they covered for him and saying there, the, that transparency, he was known to be a smoker. Where's his cigarette in his hand? Just like uh, FDR was in a wheelchair, you never saw that wheelchair, did you? No. But where's that cigarette? They never made sure to show that he smoked cigarettes. All right, my friend. God bless you. <laughs> All right. Todd, Salem, Oregon, quickly, Mark Levin app, go. Todd, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How much time do we have left? Thirty. I don't think we're going to get to you. Hold on, Todd. We'll get back to you after, uh, after the break. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, let me try it this way. As long as governors, as long as governors can keep a lot of their states shut down, so there's no risk, health risk, regard to the coronavirus or minim, minimal risk from their perspectives, not mine, from theirs. Of course, there's other deaths occurring, other consequences. I got it. Trust me, I've been fighting this. But from their own myopic perspective, and the media's myopic perspective, don't open, don't open. Somebody might die. Well, lots of people die if we don't open. 
So as long as these governors can keep a lot of their states, a lot of the, the business activity in their states shut down, and know that their party's going to bail them out at the federal level in Congress, the more rational among them will be risk-averse. The more political among them will realize that there's no political benefit in opening the economy. They can claim they've saved their state, the people in their state, they've put health first, not dollars first, and then complain and demand that the feds, the president, haven't given them enough money. It's a funny thing. Cuomo's constantly talking about money, except when it comes to opening the private sector. My budget's in trouble. We need more money for beds. We don't have the money for ventilators. And you say, okay, we got, now it's time. We've got to open the economy. What, are you going to put money ahead of people? You've got to put money ahead of people. I don't know about you folks, but if you want to eat, you kind of have to have some money in your pocket to buy food. If you want to live in an apartment, a home, or have some shelter, same thing. If you want to move from one place to another in a vehicle, you kind of need money in your pocket. So the left is endlessly and relentlessly focused on material needs and goods, but they they wrap it in compassion. We're not looking at material needs and goods. No, no, no. We care about people. It's like abortion. It's a choice. No, no. Actually, there's another human being who's killed. No, no. You don't understand. It's a choice. And we allow them to win this argument. What I'm saying here is this. I know what the president's concerned about. He is concerned that a lot of these blue state governors are going to be very, very slow to open their economies. Because their ratings are through the roof. Because they're viewed as protecting the people. While they're destroying the economies. And then running to Washington for stuff. That includes... Doofus Newsom out there in California. I mean, they have ratings now that Saddam Hussein's fake pollster gave them. Look at this, 98% election. Who are those 2%? So you're creating a disincentive for opening up their, their economies. Now, they'll eventually get around to it. But you're creating a calculus, may I say a model, that is unhelpful. Now, here's a piece here by our friend Daniel Horowitz at Conservative Review. Daniel Horowitz, of course, is a brilliant young man, which is one of the reasons he's rarely on TV, uh, because he's too brilliant for the average schmo who is on TV. Now, the headline of his piece is, New Projection, U.S. Debt Will Eclipse World War II Era Debt. We're about to embark on a perilous fiscal journey that will result in the accumulation of more debt than we racked up during World War II. But unlike during the Great War, we will have nothing to show for it at the end. I was thinking about this today myself. We shot through $2.2 trillion, and in three or four months, it's gone. We shot through it. Another shovel-ready deal, I guess. And that $2.2 trillion and all the rest of it, that $2.2 trillion, in terms of debt, that's not going away. But we shot through it. 
Yesterday, the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget posted an analysis showing that the budget deficit will top $3.8 trillion this year. It further found that by the end of the fiscal year, the public share of the debt will exceed the size of our economy. By the end of FY 2023, that's three years, two and a half really, the size of the debt relative to the economy will exceed the highest levels of the World War II era. Remember all that? Remember all the ships, planes, armaments we had to build, places we had to go? This dire warning already factors in an assumption that, quote, the economy experiences a strong recovery next year and fully returns to its pre-crisis trajectory by 2025. In other words, it's assuming a robust economy. It further assumes that no other spending bills will be passed, even though both the President and Congress have already signaled this is just the beginning. The highest level of public debt was in 1946 when the tab topped 106% of the economy, GDP. So 106% of all the goods and services produced that year. 2020 began with a public debt level of 79% of GDP, which means the debt will grow much quicker than it did during World War II. As recently as 2008, the debt-to-GDP ratio was 32%. But remember, this analysis only accounts for the public share of the gross federal debt. Only the public share. And does not include the the intergovernmental debt. That is, the other component of the total debt. Intergovernmental debt includes money owed to other federal agencies and accounts. These are, in essence, accounting tricks. Most prominently, the non-existent Social Security Trust Fund, which was raided decades ago as well as accounts holding pensions for military veterans and government workers. When you factor in that share, the debt was already sitting at 107% of the economy, close to 117% record set in 1946, even before this crisis. And for many years, liberal economists have implored us to ignore the gross national debt, which includes the intragovernmental share. Because that is money we owe to ourselves, they would say. That in and of itself is a dubious argument. Because we still need to issue more public debt, print more money, raise more taxes to pay for uh, Social Security and federal pensions, unless we cut benefits. At present, intragovernmental holdings comp- compose nearly $6 trillion of the $24.2 trillion gross federal debt. This is insanity of our government spending like drunken sailors during time of prosperity. We entered World War II with a gross federal debt of 40% of GDP despite the decade-long Great Depression. Now despite a previous era of prosperity, we've entered into this crisis with 107% gross debt to GDP. Not only are we coming from a worse place than we did pre-World War II, we're headed into a black hole. The debt we accrued during World War II was spread out over a number of years and went into making America the premier global superpower and putting people back to work, which is why we recovered from the debt bomb over the ensuing decade. The debt we have accrued now, on the other hand, is just from one month of paying people not to work. All this money is going into a black hole. If we're going to bankrupt ourselves with debt, 
Why not actually do so in the form of massive investment in regulatory reform and tax cuts? So then in the long run, we still see dividends from the cataclysmic debt. Rather than spending more money, how about suspending most taxes for a year and inducing a massive deregulation surge coupled with a moratorium on immigration and foreign workers? When Congress passed the $2.3 trillion bill, he says, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell referred to it as wartime-level investment. The question we all need to ask is, what exactly are we investing in? We're investing in nothing. A friend of mine who's a veterinarian, he said to me, and he got one of these loans, and he said to me, this is not a stimulus. This is relief money. Relief. It creates nothing. It doesn't create jobs. It doesn't create businesses. It's a very temporary, a short-term relief. And they are whipping through that $2.2 trillion like it was never passed. And you and I are sitting here. It doesn't sound like a whole lot of money. Because, you know, we can't really wrap our head $2.2 trillion, $2.2 zillion, whatever. That is the biggest spending bill in human history. With another big spending bill in human history coming behind it. And then the next one behind that. And what are we getting out of it? And this is why the governors can take their time opening the economy. See this? I protected all my people. Then on the other hand, they say, Washington won't bail us out. This has been expensive. We need more money. But then when you talk about opening the economy, they say, what, are you going to put money ahead of people? And so I say this to Cuomo. You handle your own budget. What, are you going to put money ahead of people? Take care of your people and shut your mouth for once. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Washington Times, states cancel plans for extra hospitals as doomsday predictions fall short. President said today they're going to have thousands and thousands of ventilators just waiting for all takers. These are very expensive machines. Thousands and thousands of hospital beds across the country are empty. Ladies and gentlemen... People like to say, when this is over, we'll look back. I don't know 
what this is over means. The economic decisions as a consequence of this virus, check that. The economic decisions as a consequence of this modeling has been disastrous. And we had a heads up on this on March 17th. We had a heads up, a heads up on this on March 20th. We had a heads up on this on March 24th. People who, for a living, maybe they don't work for the government, but that doesn't mean they don't know what they're talking about. So this isn't being handled probably the way it ought to be handled by the scientists, by the experts, who are driving all the decisions. Here's a case where the president and a number of the governors actually followed the science. But the science wasn't science. The models were not resolved models. The data wasn't resolved data. And when the models are changing, the data is changing, and they're having different outcomes, and a society is trying to respond to these different things, and, and people responsible for budgets and, and supply chains are trying to uh, you know, react to these different things. A society can't move like that. They can't be jerked around from one end to the other. And so what happens is people are risk averse and they take the worst risk assessment and they budget for that. Or they supply, may I say, for that. So now we have empty military hospital ships on one coast and the other. We have a Javits Center with 1,200 beds with a couple of takers. We have hospitals that were built in New York. Temporary hospitals that are there. We have the same thing going on in virtually every major city. We pounded the hell out of GM and Ford to build ventilators. They're still building ventilators. And they're going to be making ventilators for the next two months. Ventilators that are not needed today. Maybe down the road, but they're not needed today. We have individuals who are unemployed. We call them doctors and nurses. Because their specialties are suffering. I I went in today. I tell you pretty much everything. Uh, for this hemorrhage uh, that's been behind my left retina, way in the back there. And uh, unfortunately, I have to take a needle every month. And the diagnosis today was it's a little worse than it was in February. So I want to try and make sure I can save as much sight in that eye as possible. They are scheduling individuals one an hour. When I used to go in there, it's packed. Now, you can make a, a thousand arguments for that. What I'm, what I'm saying is, you don't need as many eye doctors if that's the level of clientele that you have. Because the bottom line is, they have to make money. You go to a cardiologist's office, which I was forced to do a couple of weeks ago because my cardiologist is mad at me. Anyway, same thing. And they're trying to do telemedicine. More than anything else. But you can only do so much telemedicine. Because at some point, you got to get on one of these damn things and walk and be checked. And, you know, there has to be some physical nature to it. 
And so what's happening is you have places and people, places shutting down and people being fired. And as Governor DeSantis told me, prior to this virus, they had over 80% of their beds were filled statewide in Florida. Last week when we spoke, about 60-some-odd percent. Not only were the models wrong, but they're extremely damaging. Because economic resources are moved into the wrong place. This is why we talk about centralized decision-making. Why it's quite bad. Centralized decision-making, which is quite bad. You can have centralized, generalized decision-making. That is that, you know, encouraging liberty, encouraging commerce, encouraging that sort of thing with different policies and so forth. But in terms of making specific decisions, it's not a good thing. And two of the people who are at least partly responsible for this are Fauci and Burks. Not to condemn them. But people do need to be held to account. I'm not saying take them out on the streets or anything. I'm saying that they shouldn't be front and center every day. Not with a record like that. And the media build up Fauci, even more than Burks, in order to attack Trump. Well, Donald Trump, you said this two months ago. Now you say this. Donald Trump is repeating what he's told because he's following the science. How do I know he's following the science? Because when I interviewed Dr. Fauci a month or five weeks ago, whatever it was, I don't remember. He said Donald Trump is listening to them and following the science. But as predicted by various gentlemen, Yale, Stanford, and so forth, Oxford, this really wasn't science, ladies and gentlemen. Bad models, unreliable data, and very, very aggressive conclusions. This is a very aggressive virus. They weren't wrong about that. It's very contagious. They weren't wrong about that. It hit certain populations worse than others. They weren't wrong about that. But I think many of the answers were wrong. I'll be back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. liberals and the republicans don't like him but america does you can call mark levin at 877-381-3811 
It takes one crisis to fundamentally alter the direction of a country. It could be a military situation, a war. It could be an economic situation, a bad recession or a depression. And it could be a health care matter like this one. So I have no more patience for people making excuses who are cherry-picking arguments, but what about this, and what about this, and what about this, while we're watching liberty diminish all over the country. The left isn't about liberty. The left is about tyranny. The left isn't about the Constitution. The left is about iron-fisted rule. You can see little areas where this popped up in the last few weeks, whether it deals with churches, and now we have a wonderful attorney general who's getting involved, and he's taking a close look at these cases where a number of these churches were targeted on Easter. God bless him. God bless Bill Barr. A serious man with a serious love of his country. And you can see the tyranny continuing. The tyranny even goes to free speech. We're not allowed to talk about these things without being trashed and tacked. In the middle of a crisis, you can't have a debate about the best approaches about the so-called models, about the so-called data, about the so-called people promoting this or promoting Can't do it. You have demands for tyranny and totalitarianism from elected politicians. The nationalization of businesses. National shelter in place. All regurgitated by the media. There was talk not long ago, and you'll hear more of it, about it. We must have a wealth tax to pay for all these things. Now we need to nationalize state debt. We need to nationalize state debt. Wasn't that long ago, a week or two ago, they were talking about universal pay in this country. So businesses can't fail. People can't fail. States can't fail. So the whole federal government will fail at some point. You Barack Obama today. Of course, he's not a dictator. He's not a fascist. Obama, DACA illegal aliens deserve amnesty during coronavirus crisis. Why? DACA is this, 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 this monarchical or fascistic order put out by this president with no legislative basis whatsoever. Contravenes completely our Constitution. And the same people who support it. Governors, local officials, Obama, of course, point to Trump like he's some kind of dictator. It's, 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 it's shocking and stunning to me. Obama is celebrated for DACA. He's applauded because he's pushing that agenda. But I have no tolerance or patience anymore. Well, by Dr. Fowl, well, by Dr. Burst, well, well, nothing. Our health officials, and not just them, were right that this is a very, very aggressive virus. They were right that it effectively, effect, it effectively uh, hits the elderly and people with various maladies. Not exclusively, but mostly. That's the way it works. But they were wrong about shutting the whole country down, these governors, one after the other. 
They should have focused on those who needed to be focused on. They should have focused on ventilators and beds for those who need to be focused on. Now we got endless ventilators and God knows how many beds. While hospitals are shutting down, while doctors and nurses are losing their jobs. If I said tonight, I'm opening the phone to doctors and nurses who lost their jobs, the, the, the phone would be flooded. You don't get to do these things and just say, ah, oh, well, the models have been perfected. You know, Christopher Murray, that Christopher Murray boy, he's the best. Really? I don't think so. And then they tell us, don't follow the models. They're following the models. Don't follow the models. What, what kind of crap is that? And then the data. First, they're looking at China's data. China's lying. This is why you have these wild swings. You know, we talk about science. What is science? Well, there's the pursuit of science, which is different than actual scientific conclusions. Here's a scientific conclusion. Water is wet. There it is. That's a fact. It's wet. Here's a scientific conclusion. There's gravity. That's a scientific conclusion. But now I have a model. I'm putting data in. I got 2 million dying. Then I have 100, 240, 200, 100. It's not science. It's the pursuit of science. And in the pursuit of science... You're trying to pursue accurate information. Trying to get to the end game. Okay, well guess what? There's different schools and different individuals with enormous expertise in their background. And they aren't to be dismissed because we have Dr. Fauci. Well, Dr. Fauci? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Fauci isn't God. Just listen to his interviews on January 21, January 26, January 29. You'll know he's not God. He's an important person, but there's a lot of important people that had something to contribute and tried to. Well, we'll see. We're all part of this experiment. There's no getting out of it. It's not so, well, my neighbor will go through it. You know, my, my, my uncle will go through it. Maybe the guy in another state. No, you're all part of this experiment. And in the end, there will be a vaccine. I'm convinced of this. Over at the Blaze, we have a P70. Coronavirus vaccines are in development around the world. An Oxford scientist says one could be ready by September. 70. You have the smartest minds in the most advanced countries trying to get an answer. In the United States, in Israel, in Australia, throughout Europe, the smartest minds in every advanced country, developed country, is trying to get an answer to this. And not just one answer, there's multiple companies and multiple labs working on it. And we'll have an answer. That'll come one day. But you're also going to have lost some of your liberty. And when the left says, we're not going to get back to normal again, that's what they mean. Every one of these crises, whatever the nature of it, we lose more and more of our liberty and we lose more and more of our constitutional system. 
Just listen to Newsom in California. This is a progressive opportunity. Listen to Clyburn, the number three in the House. Now's our chance. Just listen to the way these people speak. And then we have the dinosaurs of the conservative movement who so hate Trump and hang on his every word that they miss the big picture. What's taking place right in front of their, their faces. Really quite shocking. Let us go to Seattle, Washington, the great KTTH. Wayne, go. No. Go ahead, Wayne. All right, let's go to David, Montgomery County, I guess, Maryland, the great WMAL. Go ahead, David. Hey, uh, hey, Mr. Levin. Um, it's really a pleasure to speak to you. Um, you know, I don't. I, I must admit, I don't listen to you on a regular basis. But when I when I do catch you, I'm always blown away by what you have to say. Thank you, sir. Um, I uh, I don't have internet or cable at home, so I do listen to you on the radio in my car when I can. And uh, this is this the response to the coronavirus has just really. Each day I get more and more upset. You know, I'm I'm 33 years old. I'm a young black man. I live in uh, Montgomery County. I'm not a man of means, but every day I look around and there's something new that's being restricted. And mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I feel like each day our liberty is slowly being taken away, and I don't see the outrage. I mean, I don't see anyone in the media, you know, um, you know, pushing back against this. I just learned today in Montgomery County, you can't go into a grocery store without without wearing a face mask. You know, um, there's just no end to this. And you were told two months ago that face masks don't do anything. Right, exactly. exactly. And then you're told don't buy them because the health professionals need them. And now you're told you better wear them. Exactly. Now, what, what kind of advice is this? It, it, it doesn't make sense. I'm, oh, you listen to the news, and they say that these face masks don't do anything um, unless they're some sort of high-grade medical face masks. But, you know, basically now I can't go and buy food unless I comply. And the point is not whether or not I can By the way, have you tried to get any of these face masks? I see people people are walking around like zombies now. Have you noticed that? they got face, place masks, uh, face masks. They've got the rubber gloves on. It looks like everybody's a surgeon. Right, yeah. I mean, there are no face masks to be had. And I asked, I asked the person at the store, I said, well, what if I don't have a face mask? Well, then you have to tie a piece of fabric around your you got to get a, a scarf like Dr. Burke's. She apparently has a lot of them. And wrap it around your face. I mean, it just seems very, very scary. You know, I've never... And all my, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not an older person, but I've never experienced anything like this. And I don't know what it is to live in, you know, a country that uh, practices communism or a country that's, you know, like a dictatorship. But it just seems like, you know, I'm listening to the radio a few weeks ago and I'm hearing that the governor, I think it was of New Jersey, said to the state troopers that they are to go and round up ventilators and, uh, force was was authorized, and I'm mm. thinking to myself, I'm, in what in what country is this okay? You know, if mm-hmm. I did that as a random person, I'd be locked up for stealing. But this this, by the way, David, is one of the reasons I'm pretty damn upset about these doctors. 
they say, look, we, whenever they're asked, they always have an excuse. It's like, this is my focus. You know, I don't focus on the greater society. They kind of, yeah, but we do because that's how we live. We live in the greater society. We go to the grocery store. We have to make decisions about our kids and their education and all the rest of it. We do make those decisions. So when your models are screwed up and your data is not right and you're swinging wildly between 2.2 million dead and now 60,000, and I don't even know if we're going to quote-unquote hit 60,000. And now we have some hospitals closing, doctors and nurses being laid off, all kinds of stuff going on as a consequence of this. Somebody has to account for it. Right. And you and I, and I want to make it clear, because I feel like I've been talking about this really uh, by myself, but more and more people are starting to pick it up. There's no discussion of civil liberties. You, you live in Maryland. You pick up the Washington Post. You're not going to have any discussion about civil liberties. You're not going to have any discussion about individual rights. None of it. There's nothing right. in there about it. New York Times, they're just busy trashing the president every day. Same damn thing day in and day out. Then we have governors who say, I'm in charge of my state. But please give me ventilators. Please give me beds. Bail me out. This whole thing is upside down. It is. It is. And, you know, I, I don't want to uh, uh, go too deep into this, but I really feel like there's some sort of, um, you know, I'm not a crackpot, but I feel like there's someone or some sort of, you know, force behind this. That- there is. I've got to run. I have a heartbreak. It's called progressivism, statism, leftism. That's what it is. They believe in iron-fisted government and every opportunity. And you heard the governor, Newsom. This is an opportunity for progressivism, something along those lines. And the number three Democrat in the House, as I said, now's our chance. Now's our time. They believe it. That's what they're doing. And I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over two million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I think what you're going to find, we'll see, is that this virus was far more aggressive than initially thought and far less deadly than initially thought. I mean, we already know the latter, but I mean far less deadly. I think a lot more people in this country have had this virus than we know, because if it is as aggressive as everybody thinks, and it apparently is, then by the time everybody was hunkering down, this virus would have taken off already. Um, You know, we start sheltering at home really well into March. 
Well, this virus was active before then. And I think that's what Alex Berenson is trying to say. When you look at California, it looks like it was widespread in California probably early on. And the death rate there is actually quite low, considering the, uh, the dense populations and the, and the number of people there. Well, we've covered a lot of territory and a lot more to cover. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. And I want to thank everybody. Grocery clerks, truckers, FedEx, UPS, you name it. Doctors, nurses, everyone in between. You know who you are. God bless each and every one of you. And I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.